That may work with some people. And if those people are your buyers, awesome. Keep up your tired routine. But it is not going to work with me. And I don't think that I'm an exception. I think the persona of the buyer is changing. And buyers across the board, whether you're buying a piano or services or analytics software or anything in between, buyers are now saying the buying experience is part of the overall experience. And if you're going to create a crappy buying experience, I don't want to use your product or service. I don't care how good. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. All right, and there we go. So trying to get back into the to the swing of things. It's been a couple of weeks since we recorded due to some some circumstances. Um, but uh, but yeah, it, it feels good to try to get some routine um, going again, getting back to the routine. Yeah, yeah, routine is good. Although mine is all in upheaval now. I can't get my mic to work. I also, you notice my mic is here now because yeah. my uh, boom failed. I think mm-hmm. it's one of the springs broke in it. Okay. Or something or lost tension or something. So Yeah, but I think it, it actually sounds better there where I think you yeah. had four. There was too much sound bouncing off your screen. Yeah, because it was I mean you can't see it, but it was here in mm-hmm. between my two screens and it, it created like this backboard, I guess, for it. So maybe this is better. Maybe this is better. Yeah. It, it's funny because I was watching have you heard the uh, parable of the uh, Chinese farmer? Uh I don't think I saw. Um, so it was good timing. I was watching it last night and I'm probably going to slaughter the story. So there was a, a Chinese farmer out working in his fields and, uh, his horse ran away mm-hmm. and, uh, his neighbors came over to commiserate with him and said, this is, this is horrible. I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. And he's like, maybe. And the next day the horse returned and it brought, had brought with it 10 wild horses. Mm-hmm. And the neighbors came over and it's like, this is amazing. Like you're, you're not only is your horse back, you have all these other horses that you own now. He's like, isn't this great? And he said, eh, maybe. And the next day his son was trying to break one of the wild horses and was out in the yard and the horse bucked him off and he, and he broke his leg. Mm-hmm. And then the neighbors came over and said, Oh, this is horrible, horrible news. I'm, I'm so sorry. This, this is, this is bad. Don't you think? And he said, Maybe. And then the following day, the the government um, came to the house looking to draft young men into the uh, the army to go to war. And they they came in and they saw that his son was laid up in bed with a broken leg. And the neighbors came over and said, "This is this is amazing! What 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 amazing you know circumstances that your son doesn't have to go off to war? Isn't this wonderful?" And he said, "Maybe." 
So I'm never, noticing a trend here. You, you never know, yeah. right? Like maybe yeah. maybe it was good that my my boom arm broke, and you know now I have to put this mic in front of me, and we have better quality, and yeah. that means that someone's going to pick us up and pay us millions of dollars to publish a a podcast every week. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You never so, know. Might be good. Might be bad. We don't know. Let's go with the flow. Yeah. So didn't mean to be all philosophical this morning. No, no, no. It's a good way to, to, to kick us off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I'm glad I peaked at uh, I peaked at today's topic. So I've got I got so much to talk about on this topic. So you're gonna have to keep it uh, focused as best you can. Nah, nah, let's just go. <laughs> so do you want to no, kick it off or do you want to intro? Yeah, it? no, like, you know, let, let's just see where it goes. You know, no, let's not worry about focus. Okay. Um, you know, talking about trying to get back into a routine, like I'm trying to get my focus back and, and whatnot. But then also, you know, to your point, you know, maybe, maybe the, the, you know, everything that happened, you know, it, it it's, you know, I'm thinking like, you know, again, maybe, a good way to change up how I do certain things, but mm. you know, not to get too off topic and too like woo out there and taking us way, way off course. Um, yeah, let's dive into, into our topic. So on our last episode, we, we, we talked, we, we started digging into the, the dis- discussions around buying and selling services. Mm-hmm. And we focused on RFPs. Um, and really like do they provide value what is their purpose and all of that so more around like the you know looking at rfps from you're selling your services perspective but then also from the buyer's perspective you know wh- why do companies go through rfps when you ask anybody about an rfp and they cringe yeah so today i want to talk about sales and like actively selling selling services so like for many people, the sale, a salesperson is, is, is not seen in a great light. They're seen often like that. There's, there's a stereotype that they're sleazy. They're out to get you. Um, and, and whatnot. Um, I can't tell you how many times, like I go into store and yeah, I have an idea of what I'm looking for, but I might have questions and someone will come up to me and say, hi, how's it going? Can I help you? my immediate gut reaction is, is no, thanks. I'm good. Yeah. And I mean, has that, have you ever and done you, that? And, and you may even need help and want help, I, but you don't want to be, you don't, sold. you don't, you, you, well, yeah, you don't want that like slimy, uncomfortable, bad buyer experience. You, you yeah. want it to be a good experience. So even though you may want some help and need some guidance, your past muscle memory is saying, hey, like, just, Leave me alone, please. You know? Yeah. yeah. So, and I mean, like, you know, we're, we're talking in broad, broad strokes here about salespeople and, you know, that, that, that gut reaction of, you know, I'm about to be taken for a ride. And, yeah. and I do believe that there, while that, that impression exists for a reason, yeah. I mean, there, are, there are just as many good salespeople that genuinely care about what they're selling. Um, so a, a quick aside, like, um, a guy I worked with like 15 years ago or so, um, yeah, he was like, if you ever want to know if you have, a, you know, you're go- especially going to buy a new car. If you want to know if you have someone who truly cares about the product, ask them what car they're driving. 
And that will give you insight into, you know, can this person be trustworthy or not? Um, and I mean, that that's a whole conversation in and of itself. Um, but, you know, you have people that genuinely care about the product, that genuinely want to help educate you on it, help you find the right solution. Mm -hmm. So in the area of selling services, where I want to, the topic for today is how can you rise above the stereotype of the sleazy salesman who's just out to get you to buy anything and oversell you to like truly help people understand what their needs are and help them find a solution for, for those needs. I, I mean, I think, I think it's be the, it, to, to, to like still the George Costanza approach. It's do the opposite. Um, it, you know, we, we all have, horrible experiences of being sold to. And if we don't know what strategy we want to create for ourselves, a good place to start is to do the opposite of that. Um, because if, if I can't remember the quote from George, if, you know, if doing, you know, the, the approach that sales is sleazy and we don't like it and we're feeling pressured and sold to, if, if those things are bad, then the opposite should be good. And it's, it, it's at least worth testing out. And so being authentic and truly caring and engaging and thinking long-term over short-term, um, it's very easy to stand out uh, because people enjoy that. And in fact, they don't even feel like they're being sold to. And in fact, they're not, you know, they're not directly being sold to. So it just feels different to them and, and it feels better. The, the pushback that you always get is that, well, well, that doesn't work in an environment where we have to meet a quarterly goal. I'm, I'm, you're probably right. I mean, it probably is hard, a lot harder. And, and I think that's probably a different conversation, but a huge part of what is wrong with the sales industry is um, managing towards quarterly goals in, instead of lifetime value. And, and I think when you're pressured to meet an arbitrary number for this quarter, which is some kind of arbitrary three month period, then it tends to put people in very stressful situations where they will do whatever it takes to hit their number. And, and a lot of times that's where we see that kind of like sleazy mentality of the, you know, the typical sleazy sales guy taking someone out to a bar or the used car salesman, like fill in the blank of the example. Um, I, I think more often than not, those are driven by the overwhelming stress that they are under. And it is a stressful position for sure, because in these organizations that are managing quarter to quarter, you miss your numbers one quarter, you get your ass kicked, you miss your your numbers the next quarter, you're, you're looking for a new job. And so it, 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 it from the get go, based on how it's designed, it puts them in a position to be sleazy. Yeah. Funny enough, I was actually just talking to my wife this morning about, you know, quarter over quarter demands, completely different context, but same, same idea. Yeah. When, when you're held to something quarterly, you can't focus on the long term. You need to, in this case, push a sale to close as quickly as possible. Yeah. Don't let the person walk out the door, do whatever it takes to, to close the sale. Yep. And it's, it's unfortunate because a lot of times if you're able to see the bigger picture um, over the long period of time, doing it the, the opposite of that makes 
substantially more revenue long term. But again, if we're if we're just judged on what we do today, it's really hard to to manage towards that. You need a special person in a role to do that. You need an organization that can help support it. Um, and so I I empathize with sales um, professionals. It's a, an incredibly hard position to be in, especially for a public company where it's it literally is all about this quarter. I I don't know how they do it. I I'm sure that job would eat me alive if I was working for an enterprise brand having to make quarterly numbers. I'm I'm sure I would fail. Yeah, I, I had a part time sales position when I was in college. Um, I worked for Gateway Computers. Did I ever tell you that? No, I didn't know. That. I don't. I don't think I ever mentioned on the. You know, if you remember the computers with like the oh, yeah. spots. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. They they used to have retail stores, so they were the one of the first to actually have like their own dedicated retail stores. Mm. Um, Apple came came after, um, and so there was one not too far from here, and I got a job after my summer internship working there. And I mean, as a part time college kid, the gig was fun. Yeah. Like I, I, I actually really enjoyed it. And the state of Pennsylvania did like a couple like computer tax-free shopping days. Mm. And, you know, I made, I made base salary plus commission. And those days I made, I, I made a good amount of money for, for a college kid. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it was, it was, it was a fun gig, but yeah, you're right. Like I could not do that as a full-time job because you're exactly right. Like you're, you were judged by the week. Mm. You know, they, they were looking at your not just what you were selling but like your attach your upsells yeah. on a weekly basis and they, they were posted for for everyone to, to to see and you know especially as the market started to turn um it got harder and harder and harder um to make the, those kind of quarterly quarterly numbers yeah because you were you were you were meant to outperform that week last year outperform the prior week and outperform the prior quarter you were looked at all of those it makes it it makes it hard um and and again i i don't know how you do it but if you look at the tenure of sales sales professionals maybe they they don't care right because it's like maybe they're gonna stick here for a few quarters or a year or so but then they're gonna go somewhere else and Mm -hmm. so so maybe it's okay that they're thinking short term but from a buyer perspective from a company perspective again the value to me is in that that long-term thinking and you know it, it it's frustrating um it's frustrating on on a couple angles but I think the most frustrating to me is that with social media uh, and with people by and large being more open to um, sharing what they like, what they don't like, um, basically helping build a persona of a buyer for you, that I get really turned off when salespeople are lazy because I'm like, guys, I'm literally telling you how to sell me. I'm giving you all the information you need on how to make this an amazing experience and and give you the best opportunity to sell me and you choose to ignore it it's all right there but again if if i'm being pressured to like get the sell done this this day this quarter this week you know i don't have the time to go research and say i'm going to spend 15 minutes poking around linkedin to see what jason talks about to see how i can best engage with him it's too much 15 minutes is too much so what do they do 
they put the you know template email in place, the high pressure sales tactics, and then it lands in my inbox and it's cringe. It's like, what are you doing? I I I, I put out here everything you need to know, and you did the exact opposite of it. So no, I don't want to buy from you. <laughs> you know, um, so yeah, and and it's frustrating because. Like sales professionals seem to be so thin skinned and you you can't even talk about this, you know, try, try talking about this on LinkedIn, try saying, you know, um, it would be, it would be a good idea for sales folks to slow down a little bit and do a little bit of research on who they're selling to rather than just spamming me with, you know, a a cold call or, or, you know, sending me a form email, post that on LinkedIn and see how attacked you get. It, it will come fast and furious about you're a jerk. Like you don't understand how hard sales is like, get off. And, and it's like, so they can't receive any feedback. Like they're in this state of perfection that this is how sales is done, how it's always been done. And you can't question it. And if you do, you're a jerk and they're beyond, you know, changing how they do things. It's, it's mind boggling to me. And I yeah. think it, it opens up an opportunity for a new type of person to step in and become like true masters of doing sales from an experiential perspective. Yeah. I I love how you brought up like the, the form email and just the, the the message. Um, you, you totally get the feeling that it's just a copy and paste. It is a copy and paste. Well, it's a copy (laughs) and paste, but they try to make it like, Hey, I came across you here. All right. and, And then to your point, like they don't look any further and then they just paste in the, the, the 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 form and send it and then like if you don't respond right away in two or three days like clockwork the follow-up comes and hey did you get a chance to look at my email about how we could help you doing this and yada 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 you know th- there's nothing genuine or authentic about it like there's nothing Jim froze. That... oh you're back you're... oh okay um what i was saying was like there's nothing genuine or did you you froze i think back there we go. Okay. We're back. Yep. Glitched out for a minute. Everything went Sweet. down. Sweet. Um, all right. I don't know where I was at. Uh, we were, I was talking about the, the form emails. Oh yeah. And I'm trying to figure out what the, the last thing you might've heard, but I was talking about how they, you know, you get the, the form email, which tries to open with some level of, of connection, but it's quite obvious it's a form. And then like like clockwork, the follow up forms start coming. So there there's nothing authentic or or genuine about it, which makes it really hard to feel like, you know, the the, the person actually cares. Well, and they don't. <laughs> and, and I guess that's where I get in trouble is that I, I say things like like that. I'm like, you got to take it just a few minutes to care. What are you talking about? Of course we care. Like we care. It's so hard. You don't know how hard this is. I'm like. Guy, like how how hard is it to take a couple minutes and just show that you care? I, I, I may and maybe most people can't see through it. I mean, are, are we just like this special breed that can see these emails and be like, ah, eh, you're not authentic? I, I, it, you know, I'm sure um, most people see it, right? God, I hold on. What is success percentage of direct? mail campaigns you know like like people say the same thing like when you just get the bulk mailers in in the mail like just like 
the like the, the physical bulk mailers, but God, like they, they actually have like a believe it or not, they actually do hit. And of course, like quick Google search here, nothing's going to come up. Um, but my my point being is is everybody says the same thing when like the the junk mail comes in. Like, how many people actually respond to this? Believe it or not, there's probably enough. Yeah. That oh, I'm, that justify yeah, the numbers will say that it's true. Yeah. So yeah, I think the same thing with just like the the scattershot emails coming from from LinkedIn or whatever. Um, it's the same thing. Like you know, I, I think a lot of people say the same thing. Like really, really, but there's just enough that are going to it's going to hit with. And and maybe it comes down to what experience the buyer is looking for. And so you know, I, I probably should be willing to to take a step back and say, you know, not every buyer wants the same experience, and that's okay. So for a certain buyer, this is a a fine experience. It's what they want. In fact, you know, I wrote about this in two thousand and six or seven. I'll have to go see if I can find it out on um, whatever that website is, the Wayback Machine you know, the art internet archive website. Um, Cause I, I had a site that I don't have anymore that I, I did a bunch of blogging on and um, I came up with this visual of um, sales com- uh, compared to how uh, you can fish. And I don't know if you've watched any documentaries on these big fishing vessels um, that are looking for, um, fish like tuna or other kind of swimming fish not bottom feeders um and they they trawl these huge nets out behind the boat and then they drag them in and then they separate out the fish that they want from the ones they don't want to keep it's disturbing to say the least if you've ever watched it it's horrific i mean there's so much fish packed in these big nets that the tension on it, their eyes are bulging and they're like bloody. And it's like, woof, this is not a good look. And then it's like, but you can buy a, ten, a can of tuna fish in your local market for 99 cents. <laughs> um, um, or, you know, you can, you can have more of a line fishing where, you know, you troll a huge line out behind it with hundreds of hooks on it and you catch individual fish that's better, but it's more expensive and your, your take rate is much lower. Um, and you can buy a can of that tuna fish in the store for $4 a can, $5 a can. Um, or you can line fish with a single line on a boat, fisherman Jim out there casting and reeling it in and pulling in a tuna fish that you can go to the, the fish market in Japan and pay, hundreds of thousands of dollars for a fish or like massive amounts of money for a high-end tuna right yeah um and and i i use that as a way to visualize selling that you know you can have this experience where you're casting a wide net and you're trying to just drag in everybody it's it's efficient and you can you know cast wide get a lot of interest you're gonna catch something you know with the the example of the mail campaign it's like i'm gonna cast that out wide and most of what I'm going to pull in isn't going. I'm not going to catch, but I'm going to catch a few, and it's the numbers are going to make sense for me. But the process is brutal, and it's not enjoyable. But it's cheap, right? And that allows me to maybe 
offer a cheaper product or a cheaper solution or a cheaper service. And maybe that's what the buyer is looking for. They don't need the $6 can of, of tuna. Um, or maybe even in some instances, the line caught tuna, the $6 a can, it's more expensive. It's more um, hand-picked. It's a little nicer process. You can taste it in the results. I don't know if you've ever tasted a 99 cent can versus a $5 can of tuna. To me, it's a night and day difference. Um, but it's obviously vastly more expensive. Or you could say, you know what? I want a really high-end tuna um, and I'm willing to pay you know, $40 for a few little slices of, of tuna. So it really comes down to, to the buyer. So maybe I'm being too harsh saying this is a horrific way of doing it. It's bad experiences. You know, there's a buyer for everything. Um, but for the type of experience I want, for the type of experience I want our buyers to have, I want them to have that incredibly high end. We fished with a pole and a line and brought in one fish type of experience. And that's not for everybody, yeah. but that's for us. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's how it's I want to be sold too. So, yeah. Like, again, I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent, somewhat related. It, it, it goes back to a line from Steve Jobs right after he returned to, to Apple, you know, and at that point, Apple's market share was 1% or less of, of the personal computing market. And he was asked once about it you know, about the, the market share. And he's like, for the people we target, the graphic designers, the video and audio producers, uh, the education market, we're at 70, 80% of the market. Um, so the market that we're targeting, we actually control a share of those, those particular markets. So, I mean, it, it, that I'm reminded of that as you're talking about, like, you know, who are you trying to target as far as a buyer? Yeah, I th and I think that that's important. And it's it's a question that we um, in, in business don't often ask a lot because I think there's this notion that the world is your marketplace. That that's the, I was just about to say that. <laughs> right? That, <laughs> yeah. that, that that is your sales strategy, that everyone is your buyer. And it's it's simply untrue. Uh, and and it's, it's a place, and then we see it a lot, a lot in analytic services. There are a lot of agencies that spin up and say, we are everything for everyone. And we sell, we sell to the startup that spun up two weeks ago to, you know, the mom and pop down the street to the billion dollar global brand. We do everything for all of them. And I'm like, you, you can't, that's not how any of this works. And it's that they either didn't by choice or most likely didn't realize that they need to put in the time to think about who is our buyer. And why are they our buyer? It's 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 a critical question to the success of any business that needs to be asked, and just a lot are are asking that. And we see it with we see it with companies that we work with, and we definitely see it with companies in the analytic services space. Just no one is is asking that question, and that really needs to be the first question because once you understand who your buyer is, then you can start to understand how they want the experience to be buying from you. Right. Yeah. And I mean, not to sound glib. Um, I mean, it's marketing 101. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm reminded of just some of my early college marketing courses is you need to define your market. Who, who are you trying to sell to? Because not everybody is going to want your product um, and whatever your, your product, the messaging around it, it's going to fall flat. 
And it's like, I think we do need to be reminded of that from time to time because there, you know, people these days think with new technology, new ways of buying that everybody can be your customer. It's still not, no, you know, it's still not the case. No. And I mean, even for massive, massive brands like Amazon, like Walmart, not everyone is their buyers either. While they may have a bigger share of the total global population, still not everyone's their buyer. There's this, there, there's a persona that fits who is, is using those, those, those businesses. So you have to think about it in order to then think about, again, what experience do I want my buyer to have? And this is going back to people are giving you what they what they want. They're self-selecting, basically. They're saying, this is the type of buyer I am, and this is where I fit, and this is how I would like to be sold to. So so going back to this um, fishing example, if you look at my content, I am telling you, and I am giving you the keys to how to sell to me that I am all in on line fishing, both how I do sales and how I want to be sold to. So if you come to me with large net fishing and try to scoop me up in that net, I am going to be angry and I am probably never going to buy from you. Don't do it. And I'm telling you that. But again, why aren't people putting in the work to do it? Because it can't scale. You know, it reminds me of um, back in the day, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk's book, The Thank You Economy. I knew you were going to go this way because if you were going to bring it up i was but go ahead it, it resonated with me so much i i bought a i did a bulk order and and gave copies out to everyone on my team back in i can't remember what year it was um it was like yeah i mean it was a long time ago but it, but it really it really hit me and you know he talked about this concept of understanding who he was selling to. This is kind of giving examples back when he was running his dad's liquor store in, in Jersey um, and saying, you know, I would put in the work. I hired a team to put in the work to understand who our buyers were. And it didn't take a ton of time. It just took a little initiative and effort to go research a little bit to find out who they are and then sell to them as individuals. And then the the inevitable, Gary, that doesn't scale. You can't scale that came along. Well, now it's like, what, 15 years later and he's still scaling it in, you know, different areas. Like it, it, it absolutely can. It's hard, but it, it can. Um, and I, and, and I mentioned at the start of the, uh, the podcast, the timing was interesting and I'm not going to name names or try to put people on blast too much, but the timing is just perfection. Um, I've been, I've been talking with a company that I really like their leadership team. Their CEO is amazing. Um, I think they have an interesting product that can mature into something potentially really valuable in the analytics space. And I'm connected with their team on LinkedIn. They've seen my content. I know they've seen it because they've interacted with my content. They've seen it. Um, and then we've had some really good conversations, um, even conversations, they they did ask me like, you know, how, how do you think about LinkedIn as a strategy? And I said, my strategy is I don't have a strategy, you know, and the question was, how are you using LinkedIn to to fill your funnel and create leads? I'm like, I'm not. And I am at the same time. It's a it's a bit of an oxymoron, right? Like, I don't have a framework that says, well, I'm going to drive five leads per week from LinkedIn by following the strategy. 
I don't, I don't do that at all. I don't care about that at all. That's fishing with a net. I'm, I'm line fishing out there. And by doing that, I'm just putting my authentic self out and I'm going to attract individuals that align with my way of thinking. I'm, we've had this conversation. Okay. And, and, and I'm irritated a bit. So that's why I'm a bit, uh, theatrical here. Why, why did no, 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 no. Fired up Jason. Great. What is my screen? Okay. So here's the email I got. And, and again, I'm going to scrub names and stuff from it, but I was really, really irritated with it so much so that I literally had to get up and walk out into my front yard and walk away because I was angry. And I I've been doing, I, I think a really good job of controlling my emotions and anger (laughs) or, you know, early in my career, if I would have got an email like this, I would have blasted this back in seconds, you know, or I would have thrown it on, on social media and put people on blast and uh, it was not the right thing to do then. And it's not the right thing to do now. I've, <laughs> I've learned from my immaturity and my mistakes, but I was angry. And tell me if I was out of line or if you'd be angry. One, just receiving this email, but two, receiving this email, knowing that I give all this passionate information on LinkedIn about how I like to do sales and what resonates with me. And then you do the opposite. So here's the email. Hey, Jason, it was great to catch up. You know, great to chat. Glad we could answer some of your questions. Um, really clear to us that you get what we're trying to do. Um, and here's where it, it went sideways. If I may be bold, each of your clients has a need to make better, faster decisions from their data. Full stop. Therefore, they need our product. This puts 33 sticks in a very influential position to bring value to your clients. The question now then is how do you bring this to their attention? And I was lit up by that. I'm like, dude, like I just, I told you how to sell to me and you, and you full on put this, like, if I can be so bold, like, you know, every one of your clients needs this and, and to insinuate that I'm not bringing my clients value right now. And the only, and that I'm in a really unique position right now to bring them value if, and only if, I put this product in front of all of them. I was, I was angry. Well, all I can imagine as you're reading that, that second part there is this person having like a little notepad off to the side yeah. with like their key little phrases. Yeah. Like, ooh, 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 that one's going to be good. Let's put this one in and ooh, that one over there is going to be good. Let's pop this one in. A hundred percent, right? Like there's, there's some book or training manual somewhere that says, here's the key phrases to use that is going to resonate with your prospect. And they're going to be so pressured, or you're going to make them question their value that they're going to have to buy from you. And yeah, that probably works, but it doesn't work with me. And the frustrating thing is, is I told you that approach wasn't going to work with me and you did it anyway. Right. I mean, I would be angry if I got that from some random person, but I would maybe give them a little bit of leeway saying maybe they didn't take the time to go look at my Twitter feed. Maybe they didn't take the time to go read the content I posted on LinkedIn. I'm going to give them a pass, but it's really hard for someone that I've communicated with and I've put my content out there and then still hits me with the net fishing approach. Like guys, well, what are we doing here? You know, like I told you this is, wasn't going to work and damn it, you did it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that, th- that, that was brutal. 
because it immediately went to something heavy handed and impersonal. Yeah. Like you, if you read that again, I heard two tones like the friendly, Hey, it was great to catch up with you. And then the, that's good. The copy paste away with this car today. Yeah. You know, yeah. like the leaning in and the, yeah. yeah. So, so what could I do to get you to, drive away in that car today yeah we've all had that experience right like you walk yeah. in it's like hey you look like a nice guy you look dressed nice look nice what are you what are you what are you, what are you working like marketing or something you're like, man you look like a sharp guy so uh just between you and me what's it gonna take to get you to drive away in this car today i mean my yeah. boss is breathing down my neck i mean i got this one-time discount but it expires and like look whew, like 20 minutes like yeah we can get this deal done, done real let's quick get this done like, don't. I, I've talked about the piano story, haven't I? Yes, you have. So, I mean, same same type of deal. So, I'll, I'll make it short because I've shared it on the podcast before. Um, early 2000, wanted to buy a piano. I had my first home. Um, and I went to a, a local piano store in the neighborhood. And I found one I liked. And I got the, your timing couldn't be any better. We have this amazing sale going on right now but it literally ends in two hours. I'm like, dude, don't. And I, I told him that I said, don't do this. I love this piano and I'm going to buy this piano. If you do this, I'm going to go buy it somewhere else. And he couldn't break from his mo his model. Right. And he's like, no, 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 dude, no, no, no pressure or anything. It's just like, this is a one time. Like I have never seen a sale come along along like this. This is like, Bullshit. this is a special sale, but it does end in two hours. So I'm so sorry. I walked across the street and I ended up paying uh 700 or so dollars more for the piano and couldn't have been happier. <laughs> so, you know, like, that may work with some people. And if those people are your buyers, awesome. Keep up your tired routine. But it is not going to work with me. And I don't think that I'm an exception. I think the persona of the buyer is changing. And buyers across the board, whether you're buying a piano or services or analytics software or anything in between, buyers are now saying the buying experience is part of the overall experience. And if you're going to create a crappy buying experience, I don't want to use your product or service. I don't care how good it is. And I don't think I'm alone in thinking that. I mean, I, I think, again, I think it goes back to, to the person. Like, I mean, there's definitely those people that want the, the, the mass produced uh, Walmart experience. Well, they want it because it, well, let me ask you this. Do they want it because it's convenient or do they want it because it's cheap or maybe both? It's both. There's a level of convenience. There's a level of cost. Yeah. Um, but then there are those like, so yeah, maybe th there's a bit of want and need, you know, they, you know, they, they kind of need it maybe due to the cost factor. Um, but yeah, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna put my foot in my mouth. I'm just gonna walk away. No, let's, from let's, let's unravel that a little bit. And even if it is uncomfortable because yeah, yeah there, there is a segment of buyer where it absolutely is cost. They, yeah. they have a, but they don't have the budget. They have they have a, a select budget. They yeah, have to. Work I with and... I empathize with that, and there is solutions for that. And absolutely, you know. Yeah. And we we've talked to buyers as well. It's like, well, here's our budget. I'm like, okay, well, you're gonna have to go buy from Walmart because we don't sell that. And and I empathize mm -hmm. with you. And they have a product that you can you can use. And that's the position they're in. And we've all been in that position, right? We all have. We don't have, you know, 
we're we're I don't I don't know I don't know um, any multi billionaires that just have money printing. You know, like we all have budgets, so I get that. Like we have to work within the, where the numbers make sense, but oftentimes it's not about budget. It's just about being cheap, right? It's like a mental mindset. It's like, I have the money. I have the budget. True. Yeah. I'm just not willing to pay for it. Yeah. I, yeah, you're right. Like I can think of a couple people I know where they have the money for the things that they want, but then some of the things that they need to go on the cheap side. Yeah. No, I do. Yeah. I, I can think of a few people right now. Yeah. And I know who are like that. And my, the example that I always, um, I got to turn down the heat in my house. It's too hot. Hold on. <sighs> From the convenience of your phone. Yeah. But they didn't, haven't come back online yet when, since my, uh, internet dropped. Ugh. Okay. Um, what was it? Oh, so the 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 one thing I like to talk about is shoes. My shoes are out of the office, or I would go grab them. Um, my my daughter likes to buy shoes, um, and and she, and I think part of it maybe is she likes to have a whole closet full of different options. But she's always complaining about how crappy her shoes are and how fast they fall apart and how they're uncomfortable or how it's just not a good experience. I'm like, well, well you're paying like $8 for a pair of shoes. I don't know what to tell yeah. you, you know? And it's like, you know, if you go look in my closet, I have very few shoes, but it's probably hard to find a pair of shoes in my closet. That's less than a hundred dollars. You know, I pay a lot of money for my shoes and it's not only a really amazing experience buying it, it's a really amazing experience wearing them. You know, something I have on my feet all day, it's amazing. And I'm buying that experience and you're knowingly and you it's not like you don't have, you know, 20 or 30 or $50. You can you have that money. So maybe instead of five shoes, you buy one really good pair and you're going to be happy and have a good experience. But in her mind, she can't. She's like, no, but I want all these other shoes, knowing it's going to be a bad experience. Mm-hmm. And we see that in analytics services all the time. One of my favorite examples is a is a prospect that I worked with where they said, hey, here's what we want. I'm like, we can absolutely do that for you. We've helped lots of companies that had similar challenges. Here's how long it's going to take and here's how much it's going to cost. Oh, my God. Like he had a complete freak out. I was like, no, no, no way. I was talking to, you know, this company down the street, they're going to do it in like, so if I said it was going to take us two months, they're going to do it in two days for like, you know, a thousand percent less, less cost than that. I'm like, okay, well, you're going to get what you pay for. If you only have the budget for that, you know, by all means go and do that. But if you have the budget and you still choose to do that, I'm just, I'm just warning you, it's not going to be a good experience. Um, and you can, come back and talk to me and we can talk about what a bad experience it was. And three or four months later, here they come back in my inbox. Uh, yeah, that didn't really work out. You opened to chatting again, <laughs> you know? So we, we see it all the time and it's, it's this logical trap that these people aren't stupid. We know like as buyers, we know, like if I'm, if I'm, if I'm, if I see a product that's like stupid cheap, the alarm bells have to be going off in my head. It's like, wait a minute, what's wrong with this? There's, there's, but, but we still get sucked into the trap and then we buy it and we're like, wait, why did this thing fall apart in two days? <laughs> you know, it's like, we knew it, but we still did yep. it. You know, why, mm-hmm. why are we doing that? 
you know? So Very I, true. I empathize. We we all fall into that trap, you know? I'm sure I've done it with things I bought for the house. I'm like, oh, this thing that usually costs $100. I found one for 10 you know? Alarm bells going off, alarm bells going I'm going to buy it anyways. Well, mm-hmm. that was a crappy experience, you Yeah. Know? <laughs> so anyway, I'm kind of all over the place on that one, but. No, 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 no. It, it, it's a great way to bring it back because, yeah, we, we could talk about how, you know, there are people that, when there's a want and a desire, they'll find a way to, 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 to pay for something. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's ultimately what do they want? Do they want the top end experience or do they put no value behind it and they just go for the, the generic experience? Yeah. And without like beating this to, to, the ground to dust um it, there's so many and I, and I as we kicked off the podcast i'm like i could talk about i have stories for hours where we could talk about this but again like from our direct experience selling analytic services we we see it all the time and i think we have to help educate the buyer because sometimes they don't know or sometimes they're confused but a lot of time you muted yourself Can't hear you. Did you hit the mute button on the mic? Wait a minute. All right. Oh, God, I'm so isolating this clip because it looks like you're cursing up a storm and it's absolutely hysterical. Uh, let's see. Can I unmute you? Ah, crap. Hold on. Yeah, your mic isn't plugged in. Oh, it's there. There we go. There we go. Okay. Now you're back. I mean, you get a new mic? I, this is my Yeti, my blue. I did buy it in 2003, four. Uh, it's almost mic. Yeah, yeah. You might need a new mic. It's, but it's a, it's a, it's a good hardcore yeah. mic. Anyways, I'm starting. Apparently, I'm starting to have some sh- some struggles with it. I apologize. Giving you extra work on cleaning up the uh, feed. Yeah, uh, no worries. Here. Um, All good. What was I saying? Um, I think I was on some good rant. Oh, um, one of the things that I'm I'm finally getting to the point where I'm comfortable with it is that to this to to how we started this off. Not everyone is a buyer of our services, and and I think a good way to segment that out is that there are so many companies that are doing analytics for the purpose of doing analytics. I'll, I'll stop short of calling it theater, right? Like mm-hmm. they're, they're doing analytics to say they do analytics. And those companies are not for us. We, we, we want to work with companies that want to use data to become smarter about how they do business, to create better experiences for their customers. That That's the type of business that, that we want to work with. And if I look back on it and analyze the, the, the deals that we've won and the deals that we've lost... I think a big part of that is that people who never should have been buying from us were trying to buy from us and people that should never have been buying from us, I was trying to sell to them. 
I was trying to sell a experience and a service that never aligned with what they were looking for, because what they were looking for was, look, we just need an agency to come in and like put their hands on the keyboard and kick out some stuff to say we did analytics. And that's just not who we are. Mm -hmm. So I'll leave it at that. Yeah. No, I think that's a good spot to, to, to wrap it up and, you know, trying to, to sell authentically. It's not just the, the words you use. It's, it's also creating a genuine connection with someone who really wants your product and not forcing something that doesn't exist. That's actually something really good. I didn't think about when I was kind of writing up the description for this episode. You know, I was thinking more along the lines of how can you be authentic with your buyer without sounding sleazy? But you're right. Mm-hmm. Like if you're trying to sell to everybody, you're, you know, even if you are trying to make an effort, it's not going to come across, across right to many people. Yeah. I, and, and, you know, we're talking about it in terms of buyer um, experience, but this is, you know, life experience. We're, we're all kind of buyers or sellers in different aspects. And I'm sure the same could be said of like the dating scene or the bar scene. It's like, how can you tell if someone's being authentic or not? It's like, are they just giving me a, a sleazy pickup line? Or can I tell they're truly interested in me and in a mutual long-term relationship based on openness, authenticity, and trust? Like, you know, right? Yeah. Like for the most part, you can segment that out. And so it, it starts to become a lot easier to notice, is this person just in it for them and what they want right now? Or do they have true interest in building a long-term relationship that is going to absolutely pay off for them more than this one transaction? That That's the type of people that we want to be dealing mm-hmm. with. And that's, that's how I want to be sold to. And, and again, I think the landscape is changing where that mentality, if it's not already, is going to be the norm. Um, that, you know, this old transactional style, you're just a number. I'm going to use tactics on you so I can, you know, you know, take you home for the night and then be done with you. That's we're done with that. You know, it's a, it's a different world now. Yeah, people have definitely moved to wanting more of the the personalized experience all the way through and not just something something generic. Yeah. Cool. So this cool. has been a great conversation. So let's go ahead and wrap it up there. And, um, you know, any other closing thoughts? No, this has been great. I, I love this topic. And again, I think it, it applies to everybody. And it doesn't matter if you're in sales, if you're like sales is a part of life. We buy and sell all day long. And so, you know, putting thought into what you want as a buyer, your experience to be in finding companies that align with that. And then as a seller, thinking about who your buyers are and thinking about what experience you want to create for them. There's magic to be had right there. Very true. Cool. So we will go ahead and wrap it up there and catch everybody later. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.